Welcome to Living the Dream Outdoors, the official podcast of Living the Dream Outdoor Properties. We live by the motto, it's not just land, it's a lifestyle. And we live the outdoor lifestyle every day. Whether you're a landowner or dreaming of joining the ranks of those closest to the earth, we're your brothers and sisters of the outdoors. We hunt, we fish, we're stewards of the land, and our Living the Dream team will show you the way to enjoying the land and all the outdoor pursuits it has to offer. Here's your host, Bill Cooper. Welcome to Living the Dream Outdoors podcast. I'm your host, Bill Cooper. I hope all of you had a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And here we are in the new year, and my first guest of the new year, 2024, is Michael Collins of Misty Mountains Guiding Service out of Jefferson City. Michael, man, it's good to have you on the program again. Yeah, great to be back, Bill. Thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely, man. You're a mountain of information, you know, when it comes to fly fishing. And, hey, we just made a recent trip over on the Niangua River. And, uh, man, what a great time we had. There's not a day gone by that I haven't thought about that trip since we made it two or three weeks ago. And uh, it was interesting because it's been, wow, 35, 40 years probably since I'd been on the Niangua. I was actually the naturalist there at Bennett Spring uh, State Park back in the late 70s. So it was good to get back over in that part of the country. And you kind of reintroduced me to the Niangua, man. It was a great trip, and I deeply appreciate it. <laughs> Got some good, yeah, no, it, yeah, got some good photographs out of it too. <laughs> we, we sure did. Yeah, you got some camera skills for sure, Bill. Oh uh, well, yeah, we had a good time. We uh, did a nice little float and caught a caught a bunch of fish. Yeah, we really did. Uh, we put in right there, I guess, where the spring branch runs right into the Niangua. And boy, the water, right? Yeah, we yeah. put there, right, put in right there on the park. Yeah, uh, the water looked uh, pretty skinny, just like it is in most Ozark streams. Uh, We've been in kind of a drought, but uh, hey, we managed. That was a great ref setup you you had, and uh, uh, I I kind of took it easy, you know. <laughs> yeah, it, it was it's, a, it's a fun day on the water for sure. It's a pretty sweet ride when you got a swiveling chair and you can stand up and cast out of it. Nice lean bars. It's a it's a comfortable ride for sure, and it's easy to especially on that piece of water. Easy to beach the boat and do a little bit of walk wade fishing and. You get to do all sorts of different kinds of uh, tactics in that area. So. Yeah, we kind of got the best of both worlds there, fishing out of the raft and did a little wade fishing as well. But, Michael, when we first started out there, uh, you, you had a tandem fly rig uh, going on, and we picked some fish up uh, uh, pretty quick. Like, I, I was pretty um, impressed. But uh, do you remember or recall what uh, uh, you used on the fly rig that we started out with? Yeah, we used, uh, I call it a junk rig or a trash rig. They're pretty, uh, <laughs> they're pretty unconventional flies, uh, considering what we're doing. But, uh, we were running a, a bot, the bottom fly was a pretty well weighted egg, uh, an orange egg pattern. I like those anywhere that there's brown trout. Uh, the brown trout in, in Missouri don't really actually spawn. They think they're spawning, but they're not actually spawning right. due to some, uh, <laughs> Water. I don't know if you call them issues or just the way it is or whatever, but uh, they do lay eggs and they do roll downstream. And uh, yeah, they seem to be a, a pretty good fly in that area. Um, I think the top fly was a 
bedspread fly, uh, somebody that's local to the Bennett Springs area. I think he might be in Springfield. He came up with this fly, and I tie it on a mini jig, and it, man, it moves real good in the water. It's a, it's kind of a dull pink, and I don't know what it is about that fly, but trout cannot get off of it. It's a magnet. <laughs> yeah, that that was for real. That was kind of a pinkish tan fly as i remember and uh yeah 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 over the years i've had a lot of good luck in both the trout parks and in the rivers uh with a pink colored fly and uh trout seemed uh, uh they like pink yeah i anything anytime i threw a pink it, it seems to work i tie all my sand wands in the in the same exact color to be honest uh if you hold them up next to each other you Huh. You think it's from the same material, <laughs> but they love that that dull pink. Well, I, I fished with the guy from J and J Fly Fishing some, and uh, he ties the smallest San Juan worms I've ever seen, and they're almost all pink. And uh, I took him over West Elm, over Farms out of Steelville last year, and the water was high and murky. Boy, he just slayed the rainbows on on that pink San Juan, and just a tiny little thing. It wasn't. I doubt it was an inch long and, and real thin, real thin material. But I was quite impressed with that. Uh, that's what really put me on to the uh, pink worms and the pink uh, jigs because he just did extremely well. And I was shocked to see that it worked so well in that dingy water. Uh, has that been your experience? Yeah, definitely. And, and besides <laughs> trout, the, the pink sand wands and jig flies like that work really well for bluegill, too. I've got a... Uh, a lake up here, a public lake up here in Jeff City called Binder. And uh, in May and June, I like to go out there in a canoe because it's a, a horsepower restricted lake. So I'll go out there in a, in a canoe or a small boat, and I'll drop those those sand wands and mini jigs in between lily pads. And oh. it's, uh, it's it's quite the fun time to be uh, pulling bluegill out of the in between all the pads. Oh, I, I bet it is. And of course, uh, bluegill will hit a lot of different uh, patterns and. Of all the fishing I've done, that's still my favorite. I like it on a farm pond in a belly boat, kick around, particularly when they're bedding, and just oh, definitely circle round round uh, between the beds, and I'll, always works extremely well. One of my favorite times of the year, I'm usually turkey hunting too. So I kind of combine the two: uh, go kill the turkey and then go hit the farm pond. <laughs> the Midwest surf and turf. Yeah, not a bad way to go and fried turkey breast and fried bluegill. One of my favorite meals. Uh, maybe I can hook up with you sometime and demonstrate that. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I'd love, love to do that. Oh, it sounds like watering already. Yeah, absolutely. Well, back to that Niagara trip. As we moved on downstream, uh, you changed uh, some of your patterns a little bit. We will continue to pick up rainbows. Of course, I know I know you well enough already. You've always got browns on the back of your mind. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I do, I do. I'm a I'm a streamer junkie at heart. Um, yeah, on the uh, on the nymphing rig side, I think we kept the top fly the same if I remember right, and then yeah. we're switching up the bottom fly a little bit. Right. Uh, I I know one of the flies that we used. I think we actually caught a besides trout got the Colton on it. Yeah. A little. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> which that was, was kind of neat. I haven't I do that every once in a great while, but it's pretty rare. 
Yeah, I usually yes. catch, catch the darters on those uh, teeny tiny flies, you know, those 16s, 18s, 20s, and even smaller. Right. But and, uh, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're fun to catch, too. Well, I like anything that's pulling on the end of my line, you know. <laughs> that's right. And some of those darters are downright gorgeous, aren't they? Oh, they really are. These Ozark streams, if you, there's just a whole world of aquatic life out there that a fly fisherman can learn about if he'll just take the time, you know. But, hey, we're still out there drifting down the river having a good time. And, and uh, after those rainbows and, and browns, and, hey, we even had an eagle escort us down the river. That was pretty cool. And We uh, did, yeah. Yeah, and another really cool thing, <clears throat> I mean, it, it wasn't, uh, well, it was cool, but it wasn't a cold day. And in that several-mile float, we never encountered another fisherman. That's what was not one, not one, and it's kind of like having your own private trout stream that day. <laughs> it sure seems like it, doesn't it? Oh, it it did, and just so much fun. And you know, you know how it is when you first get on the water. You're pretty tense, you know, or at least I am. I've always been that way. Cause boy, you just want to get that first fish and everything, but. You know, I'd stand up for a while and then sit down for a while and that breath drifting along, you know. I mean, it's just a pretty, pretty relaxing thing. Then you kind of start getting in the groove, you know. I mean, you're working that fly rod, working those flies, trying to get the right drift and do everything just so-so, you know. But there's something that's just magical, and and just uh, anybody that's got any fly fishing experience behind them, they know what I'm talking about. You finally get into that groove that, hey, man, you've just forgotten about the rest of the world. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it really, it really takes you away. Oh, it, it really does. And when you get a good fly fishing guide like yourself, you know, uh, I get kind of spoiled going with you good guys because you guys take care of everything, you know. I've lost a fly or two, and, boy, you just immediately – and I even got tangled up several times with that, that tandem fly rig. You know, if you're not used to fishing those, it, uh, there's kind of a technique to that uh, to get it cast right and keep everything mm -hmm. in, in order. And uh, you were such a patient fellow. I, I'm always trying to get things untangled, and you, you finally uh, talked me into just handing it to you and taking another rod. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I had somebody build a, a really uh, cool rod bolt rack kind of deal on my raft a while back and i can i can hold quite a few backup rods so it's pretty easy for me if somebody gets something tangled up i can right away hold them or hand them a new rod and get them right back in the game and it it uh it saves trips sometimes nobody wants to be sitting there on a, on a paid trip trying to untangle something or, or waiting for a guy to untangle something oh I, I bet if that's I absolutely true <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So yeah, if I yeah. get a rod back in your hands quick, I'm happy. Oh, yeah. And, and so are you. Oh, absolutely. And the thing is, you don't catch fish while you're sitting there <laughs> untangling line. You, you know yourself uh, that, uh, hey, time with that fly in the water adds up. And the odds are, longer you keep those flies in the water, more apt you are to hook up. <laughs> right, yeah. I, I like to tell my clients when we're uh, smallmouth fishing, guys. Even if we're just drifting along and we're not doing any casting, we're kind of moving through some water that's not very lucrative. Keep that fly dangling in the water because I don't know how many times I've seen somebody just dangling, dangling it while we're pushing through. 
some some not not good water, and then all of a sudden that big bass comes up and smashes that fly, <laughs> and it's on. <laughs> Yeah, and it may not be the way you wanted to do it, but you still got that fish. <laughs> hey, exactly. It, it flabbergasts me sometimes as much as I think I know about river fishing. You know, you always find that odd fish in the weirdest place. You, know? you, you do, yeah. You wonder why in the world that that fish is in that spot at that particular time of of day. But if we made our way on down the river, you got a little more serious about the brown trout, and uh, you landed a pretty dandy trout and what was the fly again that you the streamer that you caught that fish on yeah so that's a game changer that i had kind of come up with using some uh some new new to me materials from a company called nightmare musky flies <laughs> and he uh he blends up and musky sounds a little intimidating when we're talking about trout right yeah it's uh it's 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 not so bad it's a we call it an sf blend it's what he makes is sort of an SF blend. Uh, it's most, or it's all synthetic material. Um, a lot of just blended flash and uh, synthetic fibers. And then what I do is I put a, uh, I put a bunch of those materials on a stretched out wire and send that material bunch up on that wire. And then I can use that to wrap around shanks and hooks, trim it to size. And then I have the most beautiful minnow patterns you can imagine. And they swim like the real thing. And the brown trout absolutely hate them. <laughs> when you see them attack them, you go, oh, that, they, they hate that thing. They, they want to kill it. <laughs> yeah, when well, the one you hooked was, <coughs> excuse me, a beautiful, beautiful fish, and it absolutely smashed that fly. But it's interesting to me, yeah. if we were drifting along, I, I did a little casting with the streamers as well, but you were telling me to put that fly as close to the bank as as I could. Now, what's the reasoning behind that? Yeah, so uh, this time of year, they're kind of coming off of their spawning rituals. They're, they're mostly chilling out. They're trying to get out of the fast water, although right now there's not a lot of fast water. Uh, and then they're trying to stay out of the way of eagles, because we saw that eagle, remember? Yeah, uh, and that'd make you hide. Really yeah, yeah. <laughs> eagles and otters on that particular river are their biggest threat. So if they can hide up under some undercut banks or behind a some nice big boulders towards the towards the sides of the river they're going to be a whole lot safer than they are if they're holding in open water or even places where the rainbows like to hide um they're not quite as safe there so not only that but they're a little bit more ambush oriented brown trout um brown trout are a lot more likely to hit a hit a small bait fish or a, a crawdad or maybe a mouse falling in the water or something like that and uh, a lot of those, a lot of those critters like to hang out on the sides of the, of the river towards the banks. So it's uh, not only is it safer, but it's usually a better place to score a quick meal. Oh, ab- absolutely! And I've learned through trial and error. You know, I love to fish for uh, brown trout on a, oh, a heavy, cloudy, dark day, and uh, seem like the nastier the weather, sometimes the the better, but. As we had drifted down the river that day, we kind of lost our cloud cover, and and it got a, a little bit sunnier. And that too will push brown trout to to cover. They don't like that light, boy. They like to get out of the sunshine, like I say, get back up on those cut banks. And uh, but uh, I sure enjoyed watching you catch that fish. That was a dandy, and some great photographs and a great time. Well, Michael, we need to take just a short break here to hear from some of today's sponsors. But folks, don't go away. <laughs> We'll be right back with some more fly fishing information from Michael Collins. Hi, I'm Steve Stoltz with Drury Outdoors, and you're listening 
to Living the Dream Outdoors Podcast with Phil Cooper and Hunter Heineman. Slow down and enjoy the simple things in life. Welcome to Huzal Valley Resort, providing family fun since 1979. They offer floating, and you can choose from canoes, rafts, kayaks, and inner tubes on a beautiful, crystal clear Huzal River. Lodging, let us be your home away from home. Choose from a variety of lodging units while still enjoying the great outdoors. With over two and a half miles of river camping on the crystal clear Huzal, we're sure you and your family will find the perfect spot to pitch your tent or park your RV. Have fun and let us help you get the most of your stay. Check out our guided trail rides and Karen's Cafe menu. There's something for everyone at Who's All. There's a campground store on site that has everything you need for your trip, whether you're in need of gear, grub, or something else. Chances are they've got it. And their campground has RV sites and primitive sites for all your camping needs. If you like the adventures of camping with a cozy bed at night, we have a variety of different lodging units to choose from. But who's all valley? There's always something going on out there. Check them out on Facebook, or if you want to make a reservation, simply call 1 800 367 4516. Hi, I'm Steve Stoltz, original team member of Dury Outdoors and cast member of DeerCast. And I'm going to give you a tip for hunting uh, whitetails, uh, what I call still early season in October. You know, here we are, uh, leaves are starting to change color, uh, bucks are ready to rut, does aren't in yet, but the bucks are ready. Those bucks, you have a window of time to get a homebody shot. And that's what I mean by that is all mature bucks have a little home core area that they like to stay in, and they don't, they don't move much. This is the all-time greatest time. We call it buck, Bucktober for a reason. If you look and follow Drury Outdoors, you'll, you'll notice even Mark Drury himself, probably some of his biggest, well, I know some of his biggest whitetails are all taken the first probably 15, 20 days of October. And there's a reason for that. That's because those big bucks that, that we find and, and, and get through MRI, through summer scouting, through early fall scouting, and through, you know, that we know are there, those deer haven't moved yet. They haven't, uh, uh, expanded their home range yet. They're still in their little bedroom, their little hidey hole. Well, if you hunt them early October and, and, and here in October and you don't let them know you're there, you've got a better chance of taking that deer before about middle or about the 20th of October by hunting right near where he's like in the bed, preferably in a little hidey hole food plot that you planted to actually hunt that particular deer. That's that's the best tactic. But ideally, if you catch him on his feet, you don't want to, to, to spend time hunting in the mornings near those areas. I've said this in previous tips. I don't eat, I don't morning hunt early season. I just don't because I don't want to mess that. I don't want to push that deer out of there going there in the morning if he's already in the bed. I want him to come out to me in the evening. So I only hunt afternoon evenings for big white tails during this time. And, and again, you're, you, you know, hunt to the fronts as well. Watch those fronts. Don't waste your time hunting in real hot, hot weather. If it's warm weather in October, wait for that temperature to drop 10, 15 degrees, cool off. And those big white tails will be out before dark 
on those food sources right near where they like to bed. Take advantage of early October of, of taking the whitetail or whitetails that you are targeting. Hi folks, it's Aaron Jeffries with the Missouri Department of Conservation with a little habitat hint here. Uh, no surprise, uh, we are in the middle of a pretty severe drought across most of mid-Missouri. Uh, would encourage folks to take a look at diversifying their grazing systems. Uh, right now, the department, NRCS, and other partners do have cost share available for the establishment of native form season grasses for grazing and hay purposes. What a great program. What a wonderful way of diversifying your grazing system and actually having a drought-tolerant, productive grass in the months of June, July, and August. If you're looking for more information, would encourage you to go to, go to the Missouri Department of Conservation's website at mdc.mo.gov. And in the upper right-hand corner is contacts. Go to your county and find your private land conservationist for your county uh, to set up a meeting to look at ways that you can improve your property, not only for wildlife, but also forage production for your cattle. Hey, everybody, this is Alex Rutledge with American Roots Outdoors. Check out my buddy's podcast show, Living the Dream Outdoors with Bill Cooper and Hunter Hindman. You're really going to enjoy this week's show. Welcome back to Living the Dream Outdoor podcast. I'm your host, Bill Cooper, and I have on the program today Michael Collins with Misty Mountains Guiding Service out of Jefferson City. And uh, Michael and I have fished together Oh, three or four times, I guess, over the last couple of years and never had a dull trip. I first fished with him, I think, on the, on the Merrimack, if I'm correct, Michael, and got to watch you yeah. clobber some big smallmouth on some big, big streamers. Uh, that was quite an education for me. And I've caught them on streamers, not, not as big as what you were fishing. I've, you know, as old as I am. Uh, that's my cop out, you know. I've always <laughs> <laughs> I fished a lot of big uh, woolly buggers in my lifetime and caught some dandy smallmouth and brown and rainbow trout as well. But Michael, how long have you been guiding? Oh, uh, let's see. I'm in my third year now. Third year. I, uh, yeah. Well, you're started in September twenty one. Twenty one. But uh, you've been fishing all your life, though, correct? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I've been fishing since I was almost able to stand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I kind of picked that up because you're, you're death on detail for sure. That's always fun, fun to, to watch. But uh, what made you jump from, hey, the, you know, just average Joe Fishman into getting into being a fly fishing guide? That's a challenging job. Yeah, it, it, it is. Uh, and I didn't know that when I got into it. <laughs> 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 learn as you go <laughs> you know, yeah right so i actually kind of got talked into it a little bit i uh almost anti-guiding there for some time and then i had a few uh buddies that were, were really talking me up and saying you know you should really give it a shot you know i think you'd have a you'd be really good at it and have what it takes and all that so i uh 
I took out a couple people just to test the waters a little bit, see if I, it was something that I enjoyed. And, uh, yeah, I kind of fell in love with the profession. And uh, ever since then, I've been just trying to perfect it and get better and better every year. And uh, I think I definitely have. Oh, no, no doubt about it because, I've, I mean, I've been around fly fishing, gosh, for 50 years or better. And I've never claimed to be a professional fly fisherman, you know, because I kind of I kind of do my own thing. I don't follow follow all of the specifics of what a lot of fly fishermen do. I take a particular body of water and try to figure it out, figure out some things that will work for me. And I'm probably, I probably do, like a lot of folks, get uh, I get in a rut. I'll find a particular fly that I catch fish on. If I keep catching them on it, I'm going to keep using it. There's no 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 use in trying to fix something that's not broken you know <laughs> yeah yeah if it works yeah if it works keep doing it but I, I was so impressed when we were on that smallmouth trip i wasn't feeling the best that day and really wasn't up to standing up and you know throwing some heavy flies for hours and hours and hours so i kind of sat down and just worked some uh, soft plastic with a spinning rod and I was telling Damon Spurgeon, a fly fishing friend of mine, and used to be a guy, about that trip. And I said, you know, that Collins kid, you know, you are a kid to me. You're just in your 20s, so don't be offended <laughs> if I call you a kid. I said, I no, no, you're good. I said, tell Damon, I said, that college kid, man, he he outfished me with uh, big streamers. And I'm throwing soft plastics. And, you know, soft plastics and smallmouths is almost a given. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was a good shit. And I remember you caught a pretty good. Uh, I think it was a large mouth, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And uh, there's in that part of the Merrimack we floated. Uh, you'll run into some large mouth, particularly around around the woody areas where the water's a little bit uh, slower. Of course, we always got the yeah. smallmouth on our on our minds. And <laughs> I got to ask you, uh, when you first started uh, fly fishing, how long have you been using those those big streamers that you tie? Oh, gosh. Oh, see, I started getting into the bigger stuff about 10 years ago. Um, I discovered Kelly Gallup mm-hmm. and a lot of his streamer work, and I uh, kind of went head over heels for it. I've always liked fly fishing for bass and any sort of predator fish, but um, like most people, it was mostly woolly buggers and little bunny flies, uh, bunny ear flies, and maybe some, like, deceivers and stuff like that, but... uh yeah, I discovered Kelly Gallup and his work, and then later on uh, Bob Popovic and his uh, bucktail work. And that's when I really went head over heels for it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so now I'm tying uh, overly complicated game changers and even more overly complicated bucktail flies, and uh, I'm throwing them at local smallmouth bass. And they work. And they eat them. They eat them. You saw it. Yeah, yeah. I guess closest thing I got uh, to that was some big leeches that I used, and that you know they weren't flashy or anything like that. Just usually the bunny strips and in a variety of colors. I had real good with tans, blacks, olives, and even kind of a rusty color. But I got to tying some of those myself and just putting a little flashaboo on them, you know, and uh, worked worked very well. But I I got to tell you, of all the smallmouth, largemouth fishing I've done on the rivers. Years ago, when I first came to the Ozarks, I had a lot of luck just throwing uh, good-sized poppers on the surface in the summertime, you know, even up into the fall a bit. And I caught some pretty dandy uh, smallmouth, largemouth, both uh, using that technique. But this streamer uh, business that you're 
you're working, working these big streamers. And they, these are how many inches long, Michael? Oh, so like right now I'm talking to you, I'm tying one up that's about four and a half inches. Uh, and that's on the that's on the small end. Uh, right. Four, four and a half inches is about as small as I'm tying these bucktail flies. Yeah. I'm tying, for smallmouth, I get up into the, the sixes, the sevens, the eight inch range is about as big as I'll go. Um, once you get up into eight inches, you've really got to understand that you're not targeting a lot of fish. You're targeting the fish. Yeah, big so fish, for, for real. You got to have your mind right. <laughs> Boy, you, you really, really do. And I, I tried to pay as close attention I could as your techniques and uh, heaving those big flies, you you got to have a pretty good rod. Uh, what were you fishing with those seven weight? What? Yeah, so uh, for my bigger streamer setups, I use uh, six, seven, and eight weight rods. Um, I I like the the sage rods a lot. I use an R eight core. Uh, the majority of my streamer rods are sage payloads. I love the payload. It's a little bit shorter. It comes in at eight uh, eight feet nine inches. Loads up a heavy fly line and a heavy fly really well. Uh, does well with sink lines. And it's got a lot of backbone for when you do strip set into that big one. Uh, it can really, really give you an advantage over a uh, over a smaller, thinner-based rod. Yeah, I'm sure that's true. Yeah, I, I, I use some of your sage rods on that Niagara trip. It's been a while since I'd had a good sage rod in my hand. And, oh, my goodness, can you ever tell the difference? And, you know, if you're on a long trip, uh, it certainly makes a difference, too, in your your stamina and be, being able to stick with it all all day long. Great, great rods, man. But uh, the shorter rods, uh, what what's the advantage of that shorter rod when you're throwing the big streamers? Um, it's just a little bit less swing weight is my, my best understanding. I'm not a rod builder. Uh, they, right. they make rods, I buy them and <laughs> I, I kind of just fish them, but yeah, the, uh, I, I like them because it's a little bit less swing weight. Uh, you've got a little bit less rod to load up. Right. So you're putting just, you're, you're putting, you're maximizing energy in a small, into a smaller vessel is, is kind of a, a, an okay way of explaining it. Yeah. Um, and then, it, yeah, it helps turn your line over faster, and it helps you get that tight loop that you can just really rock it out there with a good double haul cast. Yeah. Uh, again, it was interesting to watch you. And you, you were a lefty, too. Isn't that correct? Yep. Yeah. Yep. I was, I'm a southpaw. Hey, I was, I was just amazed that you could work that line and particularly do a double haul being left-handed. I thought, I could try that. I had that wrapped around my head about ten times. <laughs> Now imagine how many times I did that before I got that good. <laughs> so, that double haul, I'll, I'll tell you, if it's if it, if you're looking to get into streamer fishing, you really, really, really ought to learn it. It will save the day. Oh, but, I would, I would it, imagine. It is such a technical cast. It it takes practice and it takes a lot of getting frustrated and and throwing the rod on the ground, walking away, and coming back <laughs> to try it again. But once you learn it, it's 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 really good to have in that toolkit. Well, I was I was amazed even on, on the Niagara when you were throwing a big fly after the Browns, uh, how accurate you were with that double haul and putting it in close to the bank, up under the overhanging limbs and that that sort of thing. I just thought it was a pretty good show. But still, you know, as much fun as that trout fishing is, boy, you know, I love the Ozarks, the wild rivers, and the smallmouth. Man is the king of those rivers and my favorite fish to go after. So, uh, 
Michael, uh, on your rods and throwing these big streamers too, you I think most of the time we're using a sinking line or a sinking tip line. Which was it? Sinking line. I do not use sink tips anymore. Uh, I like the, I think they're called variable sink lines now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you'll, instead of having a sink tip, you'll have a line that has integrated sections of sink rate. So, for example, what we were using on the Niango was a three inch per second sink rate line. The I think it's like the top fifteen ish feet or ten feet or something like that are three IPS. But then you come back on that fly line a little bit, and it's an intermediate line. And then you come back another X amount of feet, and it's a floating line. So what that does is it helps you keep a better connection with that fly because feel. Fly fishing with big streamers is all about feeling that connection. If you lose connection with the fly, you're not feeling bites. You're not feeling bites. You're not going to catch fish. And having that integration really helps out a lot. Um, those are mostly what I fish now. I, I there are a lot of intermediates, especially in the summertime, uh, sp- late spring, summer. It's intermediates. Uh, when it's full swing uh, pre-spawn for these bass, we're throwing mostly six IPS lines, which is six inches per second of a sink rate. It's, it's quick. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what you need to get some of these just awfully huge flies down even into the water. Right, right, right. Well, it's intriguing to watch. And I have used sinking lines even when I'm going after the trout. But I target the deep holes. I skip a lot of the flat water. You know, it probably missed some fish that way, but I have caught my bigger fish in the deeper holes. And uh, even with the woolly boogers, the big ones, you know, I'm talking uh, twos and fours and sixes. Uh, I've used sinking uh, lines to get those down deep. And I think a lot of trout fishermen, whether they're fly fishing or spin fishing or whatever, make a big mistake on the rivers because they're not fishing deep enough. You know, uh, trout so many times seem to relate to the bottom, and I think that's because they pick up a lot of food there. And I'm going to use a bad word here, probably make some trout fishermen mad at me, but it's surprising how much <clears throat> big trout act as scavengers. I mean, they will not just, you know, capture the live menace and crayfish or whatever, but they will pick up dead I've, I've watched it happen. I've, I've caught them on, you know, dead minnows and that sort of thing, rolled them down the, across the bottom. So sometimes, hey, if you're having trouble in those upper water columns picking up the fish, hey, add on some uh, split shot or sometimes I carry a second reel. I may be fishing a floating line and just not can't get the job done and put that sinking line on, and, hey, it's like flipping a light switch sometimes. you get got to get down where the fish are. Got to find them. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I would I would uh, say with complete confidence, most all of my big fish have been caught fairly fairly deep. Um, you, you do have the, the the random here or there fish that hits a that does a nice big uh, popper bite, hits that popper real hard. But uh, man, yeah, uh, most of the big fish that I see come into the boat are fairly fairly deep. It's uh, we're we're working that I like to call it cobble. So it's like basketball-ish sized uh, boulder fields at about uh-huh. four to six feet of depth. And if it's even deeper and you can get down there and keep that fly down there, then even better. Absolutely. Back, so especially post-spawn, love that kind of stuff. 
Sound like great fun. Well, Michael, I'll tell you what, we're going to have to plan another trip and get together, man, because I think I owe you a meal on the gravel bar, you know. I am known as the gravel bar gourmet and do love love uh, cooking out there. If I can get you slow down just just enough to take about a 30-minute break on a gravel bar, I'll feed you real fine sometime. <laughs> I will absolutely take you up on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you got a deal. Well, Michael, I'm closing out here. Tell people how they can get a hold of you so that they can schedule a fly fishing trip with you. And you might also tell what rivers you cover. Sure. So I cover the upper Niangua River. I do a few different float options there, depending on if you want to do trout or smallmouth bass or both. And then I also work a couple sections of the Gasconade River, kind of central Gasconade near uh, near uh, Dixon, Missouri. And I am now working the Niangua River for trout only in the wintertime. And then also in the spring, I've got a couple of, I'm not going to name them, but they're pretty slick little creeks that <laughs> I don't take very many people on them, but... Maybe you might get lucky, and I might suggest it to you one day. We'll see. <laughs> but they get pretty good up there, and they're smallmouth creeks. And, uh, yeah. So um, how you can get a hold of me is uh, 573-823-9057. I have an uh, email that's mmgsozarks at gmail.com. I'm on Facebook, Misty Mountains Guiding Service. And I'm also on Instagram, uh, Misty Mountains Guiding Service. Well, I would encourage people to have to get on those sites and look at some of the fish that you've you've caught, check out your equipment, and I think they'll be impressed. And I can say, hey, I recommend Michael Collins. Well, I'm going to go with him again. That's a, That tells the whole story, I think. Well, Michael, thanks for being on the program again, man, and we'll get another trip in, and uh, we'll have more to talk about. <laughs> thanks for having me, Bill. You betcha. And, folks, uh, Michael Collins and myself, Bill Cooper, We are enjoying our outdoor dreams, and we both encourage you to get outdoors and enjoy your outdoor dreams. I'm Bill Cooper. Captain Brian Wilson runs one of the tightest boat fishing operations in the business. Stainwater Boat Fishing operates out of Jerome, Missouri and the beautiful Missouri Ozarks. They cover most Ozark streams and lakes. You haven't lived until you've searched Ozark waters during the night with Stainwater Boat Fishing while looking for giant gar, carp, and buffalo. Captain Wilson also runs a second boat on Tanicomo Lake. Call today to book a trip with Stainwater Boat Fishing at 573 573- 263-8016. Again, that's 573-263-8016. Be sure and shoot straight. The Live in the Dream Outdoors podcast is brought to you by Live in the Dream Outdoor Properties, The Fly Rod Journals, SmokerBuilder.com, Cowtown USA, Westover Farms, Scenic Rivers Taxidermy, Stained Water Bow Fishing, Scenic Rivers Guide Service and Tours, Huzzah Valley Resort, Pico Lures, Devil's Backbone Outfitters, The Fallen Outdoors, Ledco Sinkers and Lure Company, Turnbow Outdoors, J&J Charters, Kaufman Cove, Alaska, Big Ed's Guide Service, Bean Creek Game Calls, Misty Mountain Guide Service, ASO Guides and Outfitters with Ryan Walker, On the Hook TV, and Rich's Famous Burgers.
Land ownership is the American dream. Land is the basis of all life. Our wise use of this most precious of resources ensures the survival and growth of free institutions and our American way of life. At Living the Dream Outdoor Properties, we value the traditions and freedoms that land provides us. Every day we seek the solace of a mountain sunrise over traffic jams and smog, the calming silence of a bubbling stream over the sirens of the city, and the quiet of the countryside over the hustle and bustle of the world. We hunt, we fish, we farm, we live off the land. It's our mission to help our clients live out their dreams on the land as we do. At Living the Dream Outdoor Properties, we believe that it's not just land, it's a lifestyle. Join us five days a week on Living the Dream Outdoor Podcast as the Living the Dream Outdoor Dream Team explores the most desired outdoor properties in the Midwest and whisks you away to incredible hunting, fishing, and outdoor recreation opportunities. Host Bill Cooper, an inductee of the National Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame, will be joined by members of the Living the Dream Outdoors team each week as they tell tall tales, unveil tips and tactics, and rub elbows with some of the biggest names in the outdoor world. You'll also find the Living the Dream Outdoors podcast on your favorite social media platforms, including Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. 